I have really good eyesight. I know this because my wife doesn't have great eyesight. She has to wear glasses, and that's fine. You know, it's, people have that sort of situation in life. But I have no excuse. I have really good eyesight. But when I open the pantry or the refrigerator, for some reason, I'm unable, physically unable, to see something right in front of me. Can anyone else testify to this plight? This is a hardship too, okay? Um, she'll ask me to get something, and I can't find it, and then she'll come over and grab it, and it's seriously the ketchup's right there, right? I've always had this condition. I've wrestled with this my whole life, even asked my mother, that what we see or the things that we are unable to see um, kind of actually compares similarly, I find, to the Christian life. I find the same experience there. We may struggle all the time to see something that is right in front of us. Can anyone relate? Something that is true good and beautiful that God is at work doing right in front of us we fail so often to see at least I do in Advent we have given to us an invitation of a certain kind of seeing a way of seeing seeing the world seeing reality as if God has arrived this is what Advent means arrival so what is this Advent way of seeing. This morning, I want to meditate on this uh, together. Isaiah foretells of what will happen when Israel sees God's advent, his arrival. Did you hear that reading? It's always like a matter of, it's a social matter. It has to do with people and the way that people orient their lives to one another. But there's also this like creation. There's like animals involved. The earth is involved. It is a holistic view of God's advent. It's a vision In verse 2, he says, they'll see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. He will strengthen the weak and the fearful, he says in verse 4, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance and terrible recompense. He will come and save you. This is what happens when God arrives. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of those who cannot hear, the deaf will be open. Water shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Can you see this? Picture it. Can you see this? And when God looks upon his lowly servant, Mary, this beautiful song that we heard, Magnificat, her song that we just sung together, Mary, who in a way represents the whole of God's people, all of Israel, she sings about what she sees in a way. In fact, the Magnificat puts her confession in terms of how her soul magnifies, makes visible what God has done. Her soul makes much of God's work, his presence, what it looks like when he arrives finally and fulfills his promise to us. She exalts him, makes visible the holiness of his deeds on the earth. His mercy for those who fear him. And by fear, what Mary, and I'm sort of reciting going through our song again, but by fear, what she does not mean here is terror of God, like being frightened of someone who is uh, abusive and powerful or something, who could, who could like dominate or hurt you in some way. That's not the kind of fear that Mary is talking about, but reverence of awe. Whoa, as we might say. What Mary's soul magnifies for us plainly is a God who is setting things right. 
in a few key ways with his people, actually. Sometimes we say this oftentimes, that God is setting things right in the world, which is a helpful sort of summary sentence to say. But we need to be specific. And in Mary's song, we find those specifics. And I think this is really important because as, as good as a summary sentence can be, unless it is specific, it may not hit the reality of our lives. It may not land on the ground for us. And in Mary's song, there's three things, some themes that I see that I think are really helpful for us in being specific. One of pride, what God's arrival does to the pride he finds on the earth. The second is of power. What does God's arrival mean for the way power works in the world? And then finally, wealth. What does God's arrival, his presence mean for our wealth, our money? That's what Mary sees, this this arrival of God transforming, transfiguring, renewing all of these things. And at the advent of God in Jesus Christ, we find in the gospel reading this morning, John's disciples, John's in prison, if you don't know the backstory. He sends his disciples, go ask this person, Jesus, his cousin, if he is the one to come or should they expect somebody else? And Jesus answers them. Did you hear this? I love this answer. It's stunning. Go and tell John what you hear and see. Directing their vision, their sight to the fruit of his ministry. Go tell John what you see here. That'll answer the question for him. The blind see. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have good news brought to them. Go tell John that that's what you see and John will know exactly his answer. What they have seen and what Jesus relays to them to go tell John is what Isaiah's prophecy in some ways sort of echoes. You see the same sort of image, right? They're not different images. Isaiah and Mary's song, they have these echoes in what Jesus is describing. And Jesus then turns to the crowd with Isaiah and Mary's song on our minds, right? He turns to the crowd, and if I could paraphrase him, he says to the crowd, and what do you see, crowd? Now place yourself there. You're, let's, you, let's be the crowd this morning. What do you see, friends? Did you come all of this way into the wilderness to see a proud, powerful, and wealthy religious elite? You hear that? Those, those terms again? Did you come to find someone who is proud and powerful and wealthy and would tell you nice things that you would like to hear? No, you have seen in John the new Elijah, whose unique role is to announce God's arrival, you have seen his announcement that those things are being overturned by God's Messiah who has now come. Now imagine Jesus turning to us this morning with those questions. With Isaiah and Mary ringing in our ears, Jesus turning to us, what did you expect to see in Advent? What did you expect to see in Advent? Did you expect to see a prophet telling you nice things? Did you expect God's arrival would sort of leave your life untouched, unchanged, unmoved? Did you really do we and we do, if I can be honest, I assume this, and I'm always sort of jarred every time Advent rolls around, but I do expect that God will sort of rubber stamp my status quo. That would be nice, wouldn't it? And yet he doesn't, does he? 
Are we willing to see what Jesus points out to us? The fruits of his ministry? The effects of his presence? The shakeup that his authority brings? If Advent, friend, is a way of seeing, it is a vision that we can see through Isaiah's vision, through Mary's song, through the witness of John, the forerunner, the Elijah, and even more clearly summarized in what we see in Jesus and what he does. And what I think we see consistently in these visions of Scripture, if we can kind of look down the the telescope of Isaiah and Mary, even James and John and Jesus, we see a God who challenges and overturns the reality of pride, power, and wealth in his presence. Yes, he has a saving presence. Yes, he gives us the forgiveness of sins. Yes, through him, the world is being reconciled. Yes, the blood of his cross is the only power that we need to receive the means of grace and the forgiveness of sins. Yes, for sure. But this morning, what we have in our readings is a, is a sort of laser-sharp focus on God's arrival, his advent, and how it comes in contact with the pride, the power, and the wealth of the world. That the way things are in this world with pride, power, and wealth, they don't always have to be this way. This is not what God desires. And the way things are changing, the ways that God is overturning these things, we see crystal clear in the person of Jesus. Can you see that? Was that what you're expecting to see when you've come out into the wilderness in Advent? Do we want to see this? Because you know what that would mean. Do we want to receive a king who overturns our pride, our power, and our wealth. This is the sort of costly self-examination of Advent. This isn't super comfortable. But friends, there is good news here. Can you imagine, let me put it in the, the contrast. Can you imagine a world where the people of God are known for, are the beacons of light with humility, with a lowly service, a power that serves the goods of others, and generosity? Yeah, that's the person of Jesus we describe. This is the person that he is inviting you to become as well in Advent. So look at your life um, with compassionate curiosity. Take your life as you have it. Place Jesus in the center of your life. Your king has come. This is the announcement of Advent. And with that compassionate curiosity, I want to meditate on pride, power, and wealth. Just real briefly. But you got to do this with your real life in front of you. Otherwise, this is just going to be sort of like philosophy or theology or something that others need to deal with. And you're already thinking, maybe I should forward this sermon to somebody else who really needs to hear it. No, let's deal with it ourselves. All right, let's be the people that can hear this and deal with it ourselves. Pride. It puts ourselves in the place of God, at the center of the objective of our life. It is the refusal to recognize our status as creatures dependent on God for our existence in the first place. Pride can manifest manifest as a a neglect of worshiping God, being satisfied with pious feelings or fancy clothes or beautiful liturgies, but never really getting to the work, that renovating work of Christ's presence in our life. It relies more on self-sufficiency, pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, than it does 
depend on the means of God's grace and his provision. It quickly credits ourselves rather than crediting the gifts that God has given us. It can be so many other things, pride. And God, in his arrival, overturns this pride. This is good news for us. This is liberating, freeing news for us. Power. Power isn't a bad thing in and of itself. God's power, for instance, is righteous and good and beautiful. But the world's power is quite different oftentimes. It's bad when misused in the pursuit of status or control, influence, reputation, domination, or possessions at the expense of others. And power can be, ungodly power can be indifferent to the injustices, the wrongs committed to other people. God levels this kind of power. He empties this kind of power in his arrival. This is really good news, isn't it? Finally, the inordinate pursuit of wealth or material things, the waste of wealth or a protectiveness of wealth for your own security, cheating God, fooling him, fudging the numbers, So that you don't have to worship God with your money, but that you can keep more for yourself. Making financial success and security an idol in your life. By whatever American story you tell yourselves to justify it. Living beyond your income. Living extravagantly, unnecessarily, while making every excuse to hold on to what is yours. And never offered up to the Lord in worship, sacrificially and regularly. Friends, God, his arrival transforms our wealth and our greed into generosity. And this is good news. So take your life as you have it in those three areas. Picture God's arrival in your pride and your power and your wealth. And what do you see? Do you see the good news of God liberating you, transforming your pride, your power, and your wealth? Or do you see resistance, a determination to dig your heels in? Or even sort of the excuses and the things that are rattling off in your head, maybe even now, about why you can't let go in those ways. Friends, the the news of Advent, the reality of Advent, the good news of Advent is your God has come. Your King has come. And coming in contact with the arrival of Jesus Christ, our King, we are invited to see everything differently. As if the world has the presence of God in it. As if the world is ruled and reigns by a good and just and loving God. Can you see that? This is the Advent lens that we're invited to have. So let's be transformed this morning by this arrival of God's presence, even as we anticipate him coming again to rule and judge the world, which he will. Let us be transformed by that one reality. That's all we need to know, actually. May our pride and our power and our wealth be overturned, that we would be the people of God, humble, serving lovingly one another, and generous, a reflection of our own Lord. These are the signs, the effects, the fruit of what it looks like when God makes his home with his people. And can you imagine that others 
would be able to see that fruit and say, God must have arrived. Go and tell others what you have seen here among God's people. Tell them what you see. Let that be its own witness. Friends, for that to be a reality, we have only to open our hearts, to loosen our grip on these things, and to invite God's arrival in our lives. So let us then rejoice because we can actually choose to do those things. We're not enslaved. We're not held captive to them. But we can let it go and we can invite God's presence. And then we can sing with Mary. The Almighty has done great things for us. And holy is his name. Look at my life. Look what he has done with me. Friends, is that not compelling? Is that not beautiful? How wonderful it is that God would do that renovating work in us. Do not be lazy with this. Do not slumber. Awake, O souls. Open your eyes. Don't be deaf to the good news. God's arrival means that your life can be transformed. You can be set free by his presence, especially in these three ways. So friends, let's not waste any time. Let's not make any excuses. It's not grumble among ourselves, as James says, but be ready to welcome his presence this morning. Amen.